And again, like I said last episode, Gilmore Girls, you know, Riverdale, whatever, insert teen drama here, wants what One Tree Hill has. Did you hear that, Julia? I know you like Gilmore Girls. Now you've got to watch One Tree Hill. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the lead for the top of the episode. (laughs) Yes. I'm, I'm using my podcast to bully my sister into watching One Tree Hill. <laughs> this is You Got to Know. <laughs> oh, welcome back to You Got to Know. And the, the amount... <laughs> that I'm going to be screaming this episode. I'm so excited, okay? So listen, season two is not my favorite season of One Tree Hill, but I know that it had some great impact on you, and so I'm really excited for you to take the lead on this one, because I did a lot of talking last episode. Oh. I can't even put into words everything because so much happens. But at the same time, like up until like episode 17, up until the wedding episode, not a lot happens, but a lot does happen. But when you compare it to like episode 17 through 23, that's when just shit hits the fan. And what the Mm -hmm. fuck? What the fuck, man? Yeah. (laughs) One thing that I think is interesting about this season and is probably the reason I don't like this season as much as I like season one is we don't get a whole lot of Scott family drama up until the very end. Mm -hmm. We get a little bit with the wedding episode, but there's not as much as there was in the first season. (laughs) I honestly kind of liked that step back because they let us breathe before they're like, oh yeah, welcome to Dan Scott's supervillain origin, (laughs) as if he didn't have it already. It's like, oh, yeah, he was a bad dad. Get ready for tax evasion. (laughs) Get ready for legal scams. And and in this season, we saw a return of one of your favorite antagonists from last Ah! season. Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) I'm welcome back, Nikki. (laughs) Oh, oh, my God. There is just so much here that like. Even just looking at my notes, I have so many more notes than season one because there was just, there's just so much. There, This season is full of so many, like, reversals, but also people basically returning to where they were in season one, but ultimately just having such satisfying and potent story arcs. This is why, this is why I don't watch character-driven shows. It's, it's just... It's so much, Mm -hmm. and I bought into all of it. (laughs) Yeah, I think you make a really great point, because this season, in a lot of ways, kind of undoes all of the character growth that we saw at the end of last season. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I didn't fully notice it until they, like, expressly pointed out where everyone was in this point of their lives. Like, Nathan basically turned into Lucas, but also mirrored some of Karen's storyline after he and Haley started to hit some rocky bumps in their marriage. And then Haley kind of low-key started going down Dan's path a little bit. Like, they they reflected Nathan's Mm -hmm. parents so well. But then you also get, like, Lucas turning into Nathan for a little while. And mm-hmm. Brooke kind of was started to reflect Tudor Girl. Like, she she talks about how she's basically Tudor Girl at that point. But then by the end, everyone's back to normal in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And, oh my god. <laughs> but it all happens so naturally. So if the theme from last season, from the first season was, like, exploring intergenerational trauma. 
then I think the theme for this season would be mm-hmm. a kind of metamorphosis. Yeah, it's it's everyone basically using last season's events as the catalyst for I don't want to be that anymore. There, But then people falling back on that because they realize how hard it can be. And you see some people persevere through that change, such as Haley and Brooke. But then you also get people who don't, like Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Dan Scott is who he is, and he's never going to change. He is. They teased us with a little of that, because the resolution of the heart attack, they... Mm, I was so I was so close to just buying into the fact that my my hope from last episode discussing One Tree Hill did truly go back and rewrite season two and they just let him die because it opens with a dream sequence of his funeral and then nope he's alive and he's going through the phoenix <laughs> effect or something after his heart attack and he's this he's so repentant and that Deb and Karen are so hopeful that it's true. And no, he just turned more evil. <laughs> He's once again still on, you know, trying to tear down. Uh, or not once again. We we didn't get the resolution to Haley and Nathan's relationship until this started. And he finds out, him and Deb find out that they got married. Mm-hmm. And that's almost what repairs Deb and Dan's marriage is getting together to ruin their sons. Who hasn't been there? Right. <laughs> God, that that whole storyline with their marriage was really interesting. And I also now understand with those flashbacks about how they got married, why we never saw Haley's family before. Yeah. <laughs> she has those parents that you both love and don't quite feel comfortable hanging out around because they're cool but also they're just they're a little too cool they're a little too comfortable it's a little awkward sometimes they feel a lot like people from the unparenting school of thought yes that is exactly it i came from a house where my parents pretty much monitored all my activity these parents are so hands-off i do not understand (laughs) well they have like six kids so i kind of get they're just like we can't so we're just gonna we're just gonna trust them (laughs) it's all we can do they outnumber us (laughs) (laughs) go small children into the world if you fuck up too bad, we'll be here to pick up the pieces. Oh, <laughs> uh, which kind of makes how Haley turned out interesting, especially because we get to meet her sister Taylor in this season too. Because oh Taylor, oh Taylor, because her parents are just like, you know what? You're like our most responsible kid. Yes, we'll help you get married. We approve of this, and that means we can just bounce and they get an RV and just start traveling the country. After Haley moves in with Nathan. Oh, thank God you're married. She's finally out of the house. (laughs) Yeah, because she was the last one. She's the baby. Which is very interesting then when you see Taylor, her older sister, who also we find out uh, Nathan used to hook up with or had hooked up with at one point. (laughs) That's awkward as hell. I God, what is more awkward than finding out that you're f- the first person you ever slept with was your sister-in-law? It's it's par for the course for Scott family drama, though. Yeah. <laughs> and One Tree Hill is a very small town. <laughs> yep. Which honestly makes it a little funny that he, like, I understand the justification for them that they give. For him not realizing who Taylor was until she popped up in their life again. But at the same time, like, with how small that town is, how the fuck did- Or did he not know? Because he's a Scott man. True. It doesn't matter. (laughs) 
that whole drama was very interesting, especially because Taylor ends up getting put in the place of having to lie for both her sister and her brother-in-law because they don't want to tell Haley that they hooked or Nathan doesn't want to tell her that they hooked up. Taylor's a bit more iffy on that topic. And then she's also covering up for Haley, who's gotten into conversations and talks with this uh, musician guy who thinks that she should give up her marriage to become a musician because she is so talented. And Nathan's not comfortable with this because Chris is very into his wife and she's kind of getting into him too. (laughs) Which makes so much sense, but that by the end of this season... They uh, technically got an annulment, mm-hmm. which I'm excited to see how that gets wrapped up next season, considering the very last scene of what this is Haley coming back from tour because she ended up leaving with Chris to go on tour with Michelle Branch. Uh, and I forget, I forget the other girl in their duo, but Michelle Branch is part of it, which Another great musician cameo. <laughs> oh, we also got Jimmy Eats World. Yep. And fucking Gavin DeGraw is back again. Back again, baby. Is, is he, is he, is, <laughs> is he just going to be like, I don't remember if he shows up in every season. <laughs> is this just going to be like them teasing Dan's death every season? Like Gavin DeGraw is just like, yeah, you can use. You can use my music as the theme song. Just let me have a cameo every single season. Like, I'm honestly kind of here for it. I like that kind of running gag, but Jesus Christ, man. (laughs) One thing that's interesting to note is that Haley kind of develops a tempestuous temper in this season. (laughs) That's been very interesting to watch because her evolution from Tudor Girl to Popular Girl last season that was good but now we've gotten her mm-hmm. evolving from popular girl to to deb to, yeah she she's turning into deb in so many ways except she's kind of become like deb if she'd just said fuck it and pursued her dreams but still had everything going on at the back of her head because she does just leave which i have a I have a feeling that she just didn't have time for a full season. There's something about it that, that said very much, we're going to write around your scheduling issues, but we still want you very much. Yeah, it did feel a little bit contrived in that way. <laughs> but for having to write someone out temporarily, they did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Because she she still shows up in some capacity in almost every episode, but it's very small bites or just over-the-phone conversations, like a voicemail, mm-hmm. that makes it seem like they really just did not want to let go of her. And I kind of like when shows are very much like, we understand, but also we, we really, please, please. <laughs> she She's very fan favorite. I enjoy her. Now I have to find out what was going on in Bethany Joy Lynn's life in late 2004, early 2005. <laughs> My theory, just also with Haley's uh, storyline, this is what I've thought since they started having her perform and wrote in a musical career for her, is that she might have actually had some small-time musical career. Or small time. I was a fucking child when this was going out. I wouldn't have known if she actually did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it kind of felt like, oh, we have a cast member who does music. Let's both feature her to boost that, but also find a way to give her the chance to pursue what she is. I, I actually, for once, I did not hate that. I usually find that very annoying, but also she is genuinely an amazing singer. Yeah, and I'm not finding any information that early. I'm finding, like, she got married in, like, season eight and had to change her name in the credits. Aww. Come on, we want to know what you were doing. What was the, the career choice here? We're so, I'm genuinely so curious. I want to know if she was pursuing a music career on top of this, because 
she she has an amazing voice. I am going to be looking for any music from her I can. Oh, we should we should real quick talk about the new characters because there's so much of the other characters that we can talk about, but a lot of it, you know, it's very following what was set up, but we got some newbies. Yeah. That I have I have very strong feelings about these newbies. Well, do you care to share your feelings? I'm going to be screaming so hard. Okay. <laughs> so we get two new characters in this. Uh, Felix and Anna, they are siblings. They just moved in. They say in the beginning is because their parents are part of Doctors Without Borders, I think. Felix instantly, you know, he melds in. He forces his way in. He's pursuing Brooke real hard. Also, fun fact... Felix is played by the Blue Power Ranger. <laughs> Love that. I'm blanking on exactly, yeah, I'm blanking on exactly which series it was, but I'm also 90% sure it's the series I grew up watching. So I'm just sitting here like looking at him like you are vaguely familiar, but there's something in the back of my head and I expected so much more from a Power Ranger than what Felix was. Because Felix is a big asshole. He's just a massive asshole. There was a tour in 2005 uh, that conflicted with filming for One Tree Hill. I finally found it. Oh. So she was actually on tour with Gavin DeGraw. <laughs> of course! And the records. Of course it was! And the records. The records, but also Gavin DeGraw. <laughs> God damn it, Gavin DeGraw! Fucking it up for I, everybody. Listen, listen, I don't actually have a beef with them. I'm I'm just <laughs> I am I am both surprised and impressed and just how hard this man is just ever present in this series. It it is baffling. <laughs> oh back but back to Felix. Yeah, back to Felix. I'm sorry. <laughs> But yeah, Felix is like this playboy. He comes in and he just shakes up One Tree Hill. He's the new big thing. He's pursuing Brooke. He's just so hot and cool and sure of himself. And he also has his little sister, Anna. Not only does he want to pursue Brooke, he wants to torment every other male figure in One Tree or in Tree oh Hill. Oh my god. <laughs> the, only, the only guy he's not trying to fuck with is Mouth, which I... I I kind of liked their momentary pair up, but at the same time, like, bruh, leave him alone. Don't you dare it's touch mouth. It's because he doesn't perceive mouth as a threat. Yeah. Oh, little fun fact before we get totally into this. Um, I, cause I'm watching, uh, or I was watching American Gothic for another mm -hmm. episode of this podcast that actually was the last episode that came out before this one. Um, and there's, an episode with a little boy. That boy, he looked real familiar. I looked it up. <laughs> it was fucking Mouth. <laughs> a baby Mouth McFadden. And I'm just sitting here like, wow. Yeah, okay. You, He's actually quite the good child actor. He was, he was pretty impressive, honestly, for being like <laughs> eight. But back to Felix and Anna. I'm so happy that I just get to sit back and listen to you go off about this season. Because it's genuinely not my favorite season. The first season is just so good, and then my favorite character is introduced in season three. So season two is kind of like a low spot for me. <laughs> oh, so far I'm loving this, because they did so much that I just, I loved. But back on Felix and Anna, uh, yeah. we later find out that the actual reason that they moved there is because there was rumors at Anna's boarding school, an all-girls boarding school, that she and another girl were getting a little friendly. Which I... The, the, <laughs> the red... Like, the alarm bells were going off when we got to the prom episode because there, it hasn't had any, like, badly aged homophobic jokes like some other shows that I've watched have had for an early 2000s show mm -hmm. until we suddenly got to the prom or the formal they call it and Anna is hanging out 
at a table with some guys and with Peyton and suddenly uh, they get a little nasty and I don't remember if that's when the slurs came in, but she definitely told her to stop being so gay. Um, mm -hmm. That didn't start any alarm bells or anything. No, for sure not. For when this show came out, they actually handled this very sensitively. I, I do have to say, like, a big warning for regularly using homophobic slurs. Um, but also, the only thing I would really say about the fact that they are saying them instead of just referring to them as slurs is the fact that they are not giving a pass and they're not using them lightly. For 2004, it is extremely well handled 2004 2000 i don't actually remember what year the season came out it was 2004 to 2005 okay. um and because of that one moment peyton starts getting targeted having slurs written on her locker yeah which is peak 2005 high school drama <laughs> oh yeah because there was this beautiful scene because brooke's dealing with her family losing all their money this season. That's her big thing. But then we get her coming up to Peyton at one point, just lamenting her problems, like, ugh, how could this get any worse? And Peyton just slams her locker door, and you just see a big red, just big red spray-painted letters, just some homophobic slurs across her locker. Which, I love Peyton, but at the same time, I don't like the fact that she ended up having her own scarlet letter and spray painting the slur on a shirt to wear to school. There's so much more things in this season that just make me headcanon them as bi, because first of all, dare night, Felix sets up a dare, um, a dare night where they have to go and do this stuff. One of the things was that, uh, I think it was Brooke had to kiss anyone at, uh, the, or anyone on her team or anyone at the, dare night i don't remember anyone at the dare night yeah because she psychs someone out mm -hmm. because she goes to kiss one of the guys on the team and then she kisses peyton which also then leads into a part of anna and felix's storyline because we later find out felix mm -hmm. is the one that spray painted Peyton's locker because he didn't want Anna to end up being the target of the homophobic rumors this time. He doesn't want them to have to move again because of those rumors. Which uh, he starts to actually genuinely believe that Peyton might be gay or that she is gay because he thinks she has a crush on Brooke. Don't we all? I... <laughs> Oh my Don't god. We all. <laughs> I, I genuinely had to do a double take when he said she obviously had a crush on Brooke. Like, what? I'm so, what? Was it not obvious to you? <laughs> I, I know. It's the thing of, like, in the grander scheme, you know, I know that's just because he probably doesn't understand friendship between girls. And, like, of course they're so goddamn straight and comfortable kissing each other. They're not totally hands off like a lot of the guy friends are in this show. But at the same time, this ends up coming back around because, well, Anna's bi. I was so shocked by Anna's storyline because there's a lot of it that nowadays would be considered like outdated, like her talking about why do I have to, or like, do I have to choose? I'm gay. No, I'm straight. I'm both, you know, and then after a certain point, they just kind of dropped referring to her as bi and just called her gay um but even for a time period when that was the most common rhetoric around bisexuality they handled it really well because when she was explicitly discussing like i have to choose mm -hmm. i don't know how to choose and at this point she's come out to both peyton and lucas they're the only people that know and lucas looks at her and says why why do you have to choose you like both, so... Which is extremely touching coming from the fella who looked like a skinhead at the beginning of this season. Right? <laughs> and it, like, Lucas is honestly like, okay, I appreciate Lucas as a character, but also of all the characters, he kind of feels like the guy that would be the biggest asshole about it. Yeah. 
Like, I <laughs> I don't know what it is about Lucas, but he just feels like he would be the creep or the asshole. And again, in such a realistic way. <clears throat> yeah, like, they're, they're confused teenagers who don't have the same resources we have nowadays. They don't have the same resources I even had in 2010 when I was trying to figure myself out. And it's handled with so much more sensitivity than you even see bisexuality handled with nowadays. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, you get a lot of really sympathetic depictions of uh, just gay, lesbian, anything like that. But bisexuality gets a lot harder of a time getting good representation. And this one does so much better than a lot of shows I have watched with nowadays with explicitly bisexual characters it is a little frustrating that they fall into the trap of just referring to her as gay and kind of brushing the bi part under the rug but the fact that it is so present for so long is really impressive and the fact that they actually say it instead of just saying she's gay but she also likes guys or she just likes boys and girls she doesn't care she doesn't pick it's not a definition for her she explicitly says i am bi and it's no better or worse than bi representation that we get today and even yeah bisexuality in the real world because in a lot of ways bisexuality suffers from a lot of erasure and this is not to be like you know oh mm-hmm you know, such and such letter of the alphabet mafia is more oppressed or repressed or whatever than any other letter of the alphabet mafia. Mm. But already, like, I know so many of my bi friends in real life who do just default to calling themselves gay because that's more definitive of their experience mm -hmm. than being straight. Yeah. Also, considering how many shows we have nowadays, like Orange is uh, the New Black, we've got, you know, Piper and that, Captain Jack Harkness and Doctor Who, so many other mm -hmm. characters that they they don't mm -hmm. even say in canon, bi or pan. They, they just do, which like, yeah, the action mm -hmm. of it is great, but when you don't put that label on it it still kind of sweeps it under the rug, sort of like, there's still so much debate about Willow from Buffy, but I, I feel like that's a good starting off point where she does have these meaningful relationships with men. And she does admit, like, I was genuinely in love with Oz, but she falls in love with Tara and she starts mm -hmm. dating women. Where a lot of people would say, you know, she's just a lesbian who was dealing with combat and it was just a significant relationship for her. She also so explicitly says, you know, that she likes men too at certain points, but refuses to say bi. They only ever say gay, which is what leads to that discourse over mm -hmm. what exactly her identity is, which is the big problem when it comes to bi representation. That That's why I'm so impressed with the fact mm -hmm. that Anna just comes out and says it <laughs> multiple times. There's even a point in the time capsule episode where... She. This is actually kind of where I get a little frustrated, but at the same time, in her video that they put in the time capsule, she just comes out and says, this is opening in 2055, and I hope that, that by then you can also say you're bi, just like me. She does end up re-recording it and says that she's straight and she's gay, which is... <laughs> but at the same time well and if you think about it like yes that's super frustrating that when she re-records it she says that she's straight and also gay but she was recording it with the intention that it would be seen by like a 2055 mm -hmm. audience and so she, uh, the hope there is clear that an audience in 2055 would be progressive enough to accept bisexuality as the term she identifies yeah. with. And then she retcons herself to be more acceptable in case it's opened earlier. Mm -hmm. Which I loved how they showed her panic over that, realizing... Because 
in that episode when she's struggling and she had come out on that video, the reason that she goes back and kind of retcons her message is because they start talking about how sometimes time capsules get opened earlier because of construction or because they're moving things. And she starts to panic thinking it's going to open before like before anyone's going to be able to understand and that she's going to be forced out of the closet when she's not comfortable in a time where she might not be safe. <laughs> Let's be real. She's afraid it's going to be open before she can get the fuck out of Tree Hill. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which even though the kids are great about it, like all of that is uh, amazing, you know, between Lucas and Peyton. And we'll talk about Brooke's reaction to things later. Like, we don't know what the people around her, the adults around her, would react like. You know, we we hear some from her ex-girlfriend about what her own parents' reaction was, which Anna's parents also have that reaction when she finally comes out. You know, they're they're confused, and because it's not, not as <laughs> understood as it is now, you know, they do get emotional. They do kind of have that breakdown cry, but the core thing that they tell her that she talks about is that they just told her they love her and that they support her even if they don't understand which is all she ever wanted to hear from them and that oh god that made me emotional even though like when I came out it went real damn mm -hmm. smooth for 90% of it like that still kind of got me even though I never got that reaction from family because I understand that fear. You know, it's every queer person <laughs> before you come out for the most part, like there is that fear and they translated it so well. Yeah. I was just talking with a friend of mine who has two kids. And so we were having a conversation about like how she discusses gender and sexuality with her kids. And she was saying I get to have the conversations with my kids that I wish I could have had with my parents. And we talked about how we're just now in our 20s and her in her 30s starting to have these discussions with our families. And it doesn't always go as smoothly as we could hope. So it's really encouraging to see a show from 2005 that early have a family who's like, look, we don't get it, we have questions, but we'll work with you and understand through your life experience. Just know that we love you anyway. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, like, for such a popular teen drama to have done that in 2004, I can't imagine what an impact that might have had on the queer kids that were watching it at the time and the parents that might be watching it with them. It's one of those things that kind of makes me think back to how I remember being presented gay and trans people when I was a child in 2004 and thinking about how different it would have been had I watched this. And it's it's just, it, it warms my heart, especially when we get to Brooke in this whole situation, because Brooke is dating Felix and... After a certain point, it gets revealed to Peyton, who reveals it to Brooke, that Felix was the one that painted the slur on her locker. Well, no matter what, you knew that mm -hmm. Brooke was going to freak the fuck out on Felix for doing that to Peyton. The way they phrased it shows so much about Brooke's character and also just the show's attitude about queerness outside of just the queer person's story because when Brooke confronts him she doesn't start out with how could you do that to Peyton she just says how could you even think that word how could you even deem that something you could ever say or do or put on someone and then she tags on the fact that he did it to her best friend she focuses first on the fact that he's just homophobic and fucked up. And then how it personally affected her. That's not your word. Get that out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah. And oh my god. That, that just made me love her so much. Which also kind of fits with uh, what I've seen from Sophia Bush. And how supportive she is as a straight woman. And 
it's it just warms my heart in a way that no other show from this era does when they're dealing with something like this. Mm-hmm. I do have to say, I I did hate the fact that Anne ended up going back to her boarding school in the end. Because I, I get it, you know, she talked to her ex-girlfriend about it, and she says, you know, I have to go there and I have to be my authentic self. I can't let them get away with the homophobic bullying that I was dealing with. But I'm also like, th- th- you're, sweetie, <laughs> I understand but maybe it's just safer you stay in One Tree Hill where you explicitly know people are going to support you. Yeah, but I I do understand that desire to not be beaten by someone, you know? Like, I understand that motivator. Yeah, it, it's a messy situation, but also I'm glad that if she had to go back to the boarding school, it ended up being Anna's choice. It wasn't... Her parents mm-hmm. saying, like, okay, well, now we know why you left and why, you know, you kept begging us to leave, so we're sending you back. Or, we don't like this, so we're sending you back. It was her saying, this is my choice, and fuck them. I'm gonna make it their problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna rub my little by hands all over their bullshit. <laughs> Which, I mean, fucking relatable. <laughs> That that that's probably one of the most relatable things about her, except for the fact that she is also really into Peyton, which I thought was cute. <laughs> like everyone's in love with Peyton. It, How it's can so cute. you not be? Right? I and that's also another thing is Anna ends up having two crushes throughout this. Or I honestly don't know if I would say that Lucas was a crush because the way she kind of phrased it, it, it did sound like she felt like it was kind of the obvious thing like i mean look at you you're this cool guy all this and they end up in the end just being really good friends and it was really sweet (laughs) but at the same time considering just how close uh of characters lucas and peyton are i wouldn't be surprised if she was just into both of them because you can't blame her who wouldn't (laughs) want to be a sandwich there honestly what strong women characters we right? have, dude. Like, God, Brooke's storyline this season was, uh, it was so stressful at first because it it was giving me big Buffy has to get a job vibes. I keep referencing Buffy in this. Why the fuck? Um, but that's legitimately, it kept making me think of the season that Buffy has to get a job and Buffy is struggling to survive as a normal person, which is my least favorite season because it gives me so much anxiety. Because... <laughs> Oh, I skipped that season so many times. I I cannot watch that season. <laughs> but uh, that that's kind of what her storyline was giving me for a good chunk of it because her parents end up losing this empire they had put together. Like she's no longer the rich girl, and she has this struggle where she almost has to move to California when her dad finally gets a new job that can support them the way that they were living before. Which, thank- thankfully, this is the only time I'm going to be thankful for Dan, because since Dan <laughs> blackmailed Lucas into living with him, which we haven't even touched that point, she ends up being able to move in with Karen and gets her first real experience of being parented by someone. And then as that's all going on, she's also literally giving up her party girl ways. Like she becomes the student body president and she ends up starting a precursor to Uber. (laughs) Brooke walked so Uber could run. Truly. She's a funky businesswoman. She is. I love how she's growing into this ingenious businesswoman who's like, no, 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 no. I see a market here. I see not just a market, but a way to help people. Because she starts it after seeing multiple cases of her friends almost being taken advantage of at parties when they get too wasted. We see that in season one with Peyton, because there is a point where she gets roofied at a college party. And then we see it again um, at a party that Felix hosts when she watches uh, Erica, the previous uh, student body president that she's become tentative friends with almost get taken advantage of because she's too drunk 
So she starts a ride sharing program. And I'm, I can't wait to see where that's going to take her as a character in future seasons, especially after she ends up leaving at the end of this season to stay with her parents in California. I'm so excited <sighs> for us to get into season three. Oh, I, there are so many storylines here that don't get wrapped up that I'm excited to see explored more because this season, I, I can understand why this season feels like a lag because it's setting up season three. It, it's, it has its own things going on, but so many of these storylines are just setting up season three, like Keith not being able to catch a break. Or wrapping up season one. We get the conclusion of the love triangle issues. We get the conclusion of Karen and Keith. We get a continuation of like Keith's storyline of never catching a break to the point where Dan hires a woman to make him fall in love and then break his heart. <laughs> Which works! Dan is so gross. <laughs> it, it doesn't work the way he thought it would, because we get up to the wedding episode where, you know, this woman's like, fuck you, I actually fall in love with him, I love him, and then, um, just gonna leave it a surprise how that all falls apart, but it all falls apart. And we also get, like, the continuation of Jake's storyline with Jenny, because Nikki comes back, but Nikki doesn't come back until Jake returns and starts pursuing uh, his own legal fight to get Jenny. And we find out why he doesn't want Nikki to take care of her more than we did before, because turns out she almost killed Jenny at one point, which is terrifying to learn because we learned that in, I think the episode before she ends up kidnapping Jenny. There's a lot of legal issues. Whitey, savior of the season. Whitey is so amazing. Love the guy. When is he not? <laughs> when does Whitey not intervene on behalf of everyone else? Because no, Whitey ends up in cahoots with Jake to hide Jenny to protect her after he finds out about what Nikki almost did to her, which then leads to Nikki finding her in Florida where they tried to hide her and taunting Jake with the fact that she found her and just bounces this is another thing that i'm not sure i want to spoil with certain other elements because we spoil a lot but there are certain things that it's, it's good to hold back because it's weird but it happens at the same time as setting up an interesting plot line for next season that is very creepy and genuinely started to make me panic a little bit because this show is getting dark it's getting very dark before it was just some light-hearted family drama lighthearted um in comparison but now we've got like potential murder investigations we've got some arson we've got some stalking it's uh it, it's gonna be an interesting season i'm very excited so that's something about the show too right is no matter what your family circumstances are and no matter what your life circumstances are there's probably a character for you in the show that mirrors your life experience like they deal with so many varied people in so many different varied situations that there's bound to be some overlap <laughs> yeah i'm honestly really impressed with the writing team on this show it is, like, hats off to you. You did so much. You did the most here. And also, I know that we're really early on. I know that we're only in season two. But I'm coming off of, like, watching Supernatural again after a long break. <laughs> and I've developed my own opinions about Supernatural. But it's so refreshing to be re-watching One Tree Hill and remember what it's like to enjoy a show that doesn't hate you for watching it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Like, oh. isn't that something that's so stupid to say? But, like, when fans are like, you know, oh, obviously Peyton and Lucas have to get together. Like, they're each other's great loves. You know that it's going to happen eventually. Mm -hmm. And they're not just going to throw Lucas and Brooke together and be like, 
Fuck you for ever liking this show and actually watching character development. Uh, it's it's going to be so much fun. I am so excited. It's funny because I'm having my own weird thing like that because I have fully regressed. It is 2011 in my house. I am watching Doctor Who religiously again after like a six, seven year hiatus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... It, it's kind of... I started watching Doctor Who with the ninth Doctor, with Christopher nice. Eccleston. And I later went back and watched mm-hmm. a lot of classic Who with my best friend's dad. I'm on John Pertwee right now. And I really enjoy that show. I love Doctor Who. Same. To my point before we get off, because, oh, I yes. can go off my dude on Doctor Who. This just in, we're having a uh, two-part episode. <laughs> the first part is talking about Wondery Hill. The second part is talking about Doctor <laughs> Who. Um, but, no, like, coming off from that, where it's like, there is there is continuity, but... Uh, uh, if you squint... But then going to One Tree Hill where they're like, no, continuity is God. <laughs> it, it's so nice. It sounds so weird, but jumping around between like John Pertwee and David Tennant and then going back to Paul McGann, it, mm-hmm. it, it kind of fucks with your head a little bit. I love it, but it fucks with your head. And then going back to One Tree Hill, I'm just like, oh, okay. I don't have to worry about keeping track of anything. They're they're going to it's gonna follow the logical line, and if there's a twist, it still makes sense, and you can kind of see it coming, but not in the bad way. It is so refreshing. Mm-hmm. It's so nice to have a show where they develop their characters in a logical manner and a realistic manner, and they don't throw in something just for shock value. Like, they care enough about their characters and enough about who their characters would be as people to be respectful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually tell a competent story. Yeah, like, it, sort of like going back to Anna, she had, within the episodes she was in, because she wasn't one of the, like, main characters, one of the main side characters to have a story arc this season. Like, her and Brooke were a bit more every couple episodes, Compared to yeah. like like Peyton and Lucas, who have a more streamlined storyline, um, theirs was just every now mm. and then. But they still had satisfying arcs with a clear beginning and a clear ending and clear struggle throughout. And it it's just so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, even Haley, who's only in maybe. But actually, no, she's she's kind of in every episode, but substantially like more than just uh, five minutes or a scene here and there. Even with how little she's in it, we are given such a clear storyline for her growth and nothing about her feels out of the blue, like her struggle with realizing she got married at 17 is clear. Especially in the fact that she just leaves to pursue her music career. She just bounces. That made sense. That made so much sense. And especially her struggle between Nathan and Chris, which Mm -hmm. isn't really a struggle. It's more a struggle of Chris Haley than Haley and Chris and Nathan, if that makes any sense at all. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You what, can fix I, it in post. It's fine. <laughs> what I am trying to say is, uh, Haley has that struggle, but it is less a struggle of choosing between the two guys and more struggling with Chris's feelings and expectations for her, even though he doesn't know her. And it, it's really her balancing between what she feels like she's expected from both sides and what she wants for herself yeah i mean that's the thing right is with Haley, it's not about oh do i like Peta or do i like you know like it's it's nothing like that right <laughs> it's not like your stereotypical love triangle it's it's her struggle yeah. to discover 
who she is and who she's trying to be. Like, it's all about her positionality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she's no Katniss Everdeen. She's She doesn't know where <laughs> she is in life, but she knows firmly who she wants to be there with. Except when uh, Nathan turns into a shithead, which is fine. Oh, God. Nathan's story... <sighs> Nathan's story is probably the hardest to talk about because that's really what's front and center throughout this whole season. And there's so much about it that I just want to dig into. But at the same time, this show is so plain and just telling you this is what's going on, but not in, they don't, they don't actually tell you that they show you that. And it's so clear what's going on. And I am so impressed with that. <laughs> again, it's so refreshing coming off of watching Supernatural again and watching One Tree Hill and listening to writers tell a confident <laughs> story. Because nothing mm-hmm. happens that doesn't feel like it's out of character for these people. Oh, yep. Continuity is God here. If if it's set up, it will get payoff in in both the macro and the microcosm of this show. Like, for example, with Nathan's storyline, you know, he's struggling with the fact that his wife left him. Like, in no uncertain terms, Haley left him, and he is struggling with that. And he's struggling between his faith in her... And what everyone around him is saying, what Dan is whispering in his ear, what Deb is trying to say until she has her own kind of, I guess you could say, coming to Jesus moment. Um, (laughs) But that has like a logical conclusion by the end with him struggling between those two things and continuing to struggle with it at the end when Haley just appears out on his doorstep again. But then you compare that to like a smaller bit, which I just I just have to revel in with like Dan in the very end as he's just so triumphant. Like, I got everything I want. I've got Deb and Nathan under my roof again. I have all this control. I fucked up my brother's life again, again. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, in the last 10 minutes of this season, we see him be delivered a bottle of whiskey and he reads the card it came with. We do not see it until the very end. And he just kind of gets smarmy and starts drinking it. Which, it's a there's something a little suspicious about it. Like, it, it just feels a little like, huh. It, a little like Chekhov's gun, you know? It pops up in the back of your head. Like, what's up with that? Especially because earlier in the episode, we saw Deb with some mysterious pills she had hidden around the house. I still don't know if that's exactly it, because of other things we are shown in the finale, but that ends up paying off (laughs) in the final scene when Dan has drunk a good half of that bottle in his office and starts to choke and then knocks over the bottle which then, a mysterious shadowy figure, lights on fire. And that is like this short, maybe total two-minute thing that when you look at both of those, it shows how tight these writers are. Like, they saw the thing going on, and they yet took it to its logical end. No cliffhangers that were unwarranted. Everything came Mm -hmm. from a logical place. Because there are multiple people this season who have complete motive to do that to Dan. And they set up multiple people who have the means to do that to Dan. Because Deb, Nathan, Keith, Karen's new boyfriend, and... Oh, who am I forgetting? Oh, and Jules, uh, Keith's (laughs) girlfriend from this season are like the five prime suspects for this. And all five of them (laughs) both have the means and the motive for doing this. And here's the other thing, and I don't mean to keep comparing this to Supernatural, but in 
in the supernatural episode of this podcast, you and the unknowable co-host brought up that supernatural went too big too fast, right? Mm-hmm. Like as soon as you fight Satan, who's next? God. After you fight God, who's next? God you know? sister. <laughs> God's sister, like, they go so big that they kind of run themselves out of road. Mm-hmm. And while, like, there's not the supernatural element to this show, obviously, they also aren't, like, jumping the shark. Yeah. Like, it feels like it's all a natural progression, and there's no, like, a sudden escalation or anything like that. Yeah, sort of, like, the first season, it was all family drama. Season two, mm. other people are starting to get pulled into the orbit of this. Like, someone removed from One Tree Hill gets pulled into this, which has the biggest consequences of the Scott family drama to date. And that's why it feels natural with all of the other escalations that it ended with this massive crime. Because it... <laughs> It just feels like such mm. a natural progression, and I can't even quite put into words exactly how or why, because I'm just so impressed right now. But also, yes, you are going to suffer, and um, it's going to be a theme that Dan almost gets what's coming to him. Almost! And it's gonna get so bad by the end, you're gonna feel, like, a tiny bit bad for him, but uh. then you remember all the shit he's done, and you're like, oh, you did, you brought this on yourself. Okay. Honestly, the the arson was a little surprising, but only in the fact that everything leading up to this, it, it had very Al Capone, like, getting taken down for tax evasion vibes, mm-hmm. which was something I appreciated. But then they had that, I don't want to say out of nowhere escalation, but the fact that we went from, oh, he's going to get taken down for tax evasion, that gets shut down for reasons that everyone's going to see if you watch it. And then when that isn't an option anymore, someone escalates it. And because of all the motive, that escalation feels so natural. Which is the opposite of not natural. (laughs) 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 Oh, I'm just... The the worst part of this podcast is sometimes there's a show that I, I just have to sit there trying to think of how to put into words how impressed and in love I am with what's going on. But then it's so hard that I feel like I just start rambling (laughs) and repeating myself. But I'm just trying to get into everyone's head. Like, please. Like, I can't even put into words how flawlessly they strung together the continuity and the escalation of action in this season. Just please watch it. And again, like I said last episode a few times like Gilmore Girls you know Riverdale whatever insert teen drama here mm-hmm. wants what One Tree Hill has <laughs> did you hear that Julia I know you like Gilmore Girls now you gotta watch One Tree Hill <laughs> <laughs> and that's the lead for the top of the episode <laughs> yeah I'm I'm using my podcast to bully my sister into watching One Tree Hill. <laughs> Next time on You Got to Know. So the thing with American Gothic is you do kind of have to start with what the plot is supposed to be, uh, because otherwise you'll never figure out what's happening. This this show is cursed. This show is evil because of the issues it has given us. And it's just, it's not even, like, that bad. Oh my god, it's actually really good. Like, you can see the studio interference that killed it, but this show is so fucking good. God damn it, Sam Raimi. Even with all of those problems, it still actually comes across as a fairly engaging show. From the beginning, we should probably let everyone know about what this cursed monstrosity is. Because <laughs> this is our second time trying to record. This is American Gothic. Thank you so much for joining us on You Got to Know. We've been your hosts. If there's a show you want to see us discuss, let us know 
at Tied with a Bow on Twitter or at Hellish Rebuke Creative on Instagram. This show is made possible by your support, and that includes sharing us with your friends and family. Subject other people to this. Please consider supporting the show on Patreon. The link will be in the show notes below. Music for the show by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>